Hey, I'm Michael Dorinda. And I am Jake Bennett. And welcome to episode 54 of the North Meets South State Machine Podcast. Yeah, we love them state machines. Give me more of that state machine goodness. Uh, I was I was so keen and so excited to make that joke without telling you that I totally forgot what episode we were on. So <laughs> you take the good with the bad. You know what? A state machine solved that problem for us. It's uh, it would have because it would have kept the state of the previous episode. Yep. There. No, it's not how that works. But okay, it will. <laughs> we'll roll with it. Oh man! Hey everyone! Happy Valentine's Day, belated. I hope that you had a wonderful Valentine's Day with your uh, significant other, or that you didn't have a Valentine's Day with your significant other. You just had a fun day, you know. Maybe a Galentine's Day, or a yeah, or a Palentine's Day is the other Palentine's one I've heard. Day. There we go. You don't need anyone else in your life to make you happy. You can make you happy. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing. That's so mean. I mean, it is true. You can. You are enough. You are. I tell you what. You would be infinitely happier if you were just by yourself and you didn't have a little petri dish that you were sending off to childcare to brew some infectious diseases for you to catch week after week. Oh my, dude. Speaking of, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I love him, but yeah, gastro one week and then I'm coming off the back of a cold this week. So influenza. A. And I haven't been sick for ages. Ah, it's horrible. Yep. It's horrible. It is. But you love him. He's he's lucky he's so adorable because if it wasn't for that, he'd be out. I'd be packing his bags and sending him off into the world. That's the only way it works. That's how this works. They're, they're only cute until they're, you know, until you can't get rid of them anymore. And then it's, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that didn't sound right. I don't know how that, but no, I agree. They're all super cute. And that's why you, that's why they stick around, you know? And then they eventually grow into like awesome little humans. But uh, yeah, those those uh, you know the first years, or whatever. It's kind of kind of crazy. The sleep patterns and mm. the sickness and all that fun stuff. But uh, yeah, you yeah. know we've been we've been pretty fortunate this last round, this last go about. I want to knock on some wood here. But um, yeah, yeah, we've been very fortunate. We kept uh, one of them home from school on Friday just because she was feeling really tired, and I was like, eh. There's a lot of sick kids at school and she's really tired and hasn't been sleeping well. Why don't we just keep yeah. her home? So we did. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. yeah of it's course for the best because uh, it means that, you know, you don't get everyone else sick. Right. The truancy officers were uh, on our porch and uh, so we just <laughs> pretended we were home, but it's all right. It's all right. Yeah. Yeah, man. So uh, how was your Valentine's Day? Did you do anything fun? Uh, we didn't do anything on Valentine's Day. On on Monday, Ree said, you know what? You should take Friday off work when uh, Eli's at childcare and we can spend the day together, have lunch, do some stuff together which was great, put the leave in and then uh, Eli was sick and then I started to feel a bit under the weather on oh, Tuesday no. and then Wednesday I was, you know, a bit eh, but I had a meeting so I went into work for that and then Thursday I worked from home and Friday I was still a bit a bit under the weather but uh, yeah, we we went out for lunch and did some shopping and yeah, it was, it was pretty good. It's, a, it's only a a different Valentine's Day. Like normally, you know, before Eli was born, we'd go out for dinner or we'd do a movie or something. Our regular babysitters probably had their own Valentine's plans. So, you know, you can't really get in the way of those. Sure you can. So, you just ask them. Be like, hey, listen, we pay yeah. you to watch our child. You will be here. And if you are not, then we I will find another baby. <laughs> we, we don't pay our babysitters. Oh, you, is My it brother fair? and his girlfriend. Well, lucky so, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah no. Family, we, yeah. Dude, paying babysitters is a brutal business. 
We, yeah. If you have you want a good babysitter, you're gonna have to pay for a good babysitter. That's just how it is. Yeah, pay for yeah. it, and then hope that they don't go somewhere. I mean, if they're else if or... they're family, that's you know a little bit different, right? But if you want anybody who's yeah. like halfway decent, yeah, yeah, or you pay for someone cheap and uh, and you find that they make up what you don't pay them with the missing items of your personal <laughs> belongings. <laughs> Uh, or missing children when you get home like hey where's the oldest i don't know he just went down the street with a kid <laughs> from the you know neighborhood i don't yeah. know where he's at i'm not sure okay okay yeah i'm sure he's fine yeah i'm sure he's fine he'll be all right um okay so let's talk about some stuffs here shall we all right sure. so um i i just wanted to talk i, I just wrote down a couple of things that have been things that i've been dealing with with work stuffs and uh the, no particular order. These are just like random scattershot sort of things. So I'll just share if you don't mind. In the uh, most recent versions of Laravel, uh, they have added the ability to do stacked logs. And this is a really, really nice feature. So previously, maybe the way that you were doing it is all your logs just went into your default log, right? Just a text file that's like Laravel-log-the-date, right? And the only options you had was single or daily. Single means it's one massive big file. Daily means it's you know going to break it up by date. And then you think you have a number of days that you can say, go ahead and purge it after seven days or whatever. But those are kind of your options. And with the stacked logging now, it's really nice because you have a, a number of different drivers that you can have in there. Uh, all of them set up basically just as notification channels, really. So you have your regular logs that just go into your storage. And then you also have the ability to do like Slack or mail or paper trail. And uh, paper trail was a, was a good one. So that's what we were using previously. We would do logs on the machine itself. But what that meant is that the only people who could see those logs to help diagnose a problem that was going on was me. That was it. Because I'm the only one who has me and one other guy who doesn't ever do anything with it are the only people who really have access to the storage on those machines themselves, right? So we needed to have a way to get those out of there and onto a place where a bunch of other people can see them so they can help manage these problems. And so Paper Trail was a good option for that. And so um, previously what you had to do is set up like a, a new listener on the UDP side of things for syslog, what ends up happening is that catches like every single freaking thing that goes into syslog and chucks it over to yeah. paper trail, right? And I don't really want that. What I'd rather have is I'd rather just have the errors that are coming from my log and my application going to paper trail. So they have a paper trail driver in in the new versions of Laravel, right? And all you have to do is put in your URL and your port and your golden. And so set that up this week instead of like this custom paper trail garbage thing that we had set up uh, for old versions of yeah. Laravel. And it is a thing of beauty, my friend. It is really, really nice. Huh. Yeah, yeah. And before we also had this custom Slack driver that we would use to, not custom Slack driver, but we basically had this little curl request that was a global helper I just made called Slack, right? And it would just notify a channel. But um, instead of doing mm -hmm. that now, we can just say, set up the logger thing, right? And then from anywhere in the application, you can say logger and then channel Slack and then notify Slack from there, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Or just set up it to, so that Slack will always uh, be alerted with if like the different levels, right? So you can say like, hey, anything critical and above, go ahead and notify Slack, which is also a great way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. We've used the different channels for different parts of the application. So the the basically the console command that's responsible for doing quota resets every month has its own channel just so that we can log to its own file. And then we've got like our shaping system and our data accounting. They all have their own log file in their own sort of channel configuration, which is handy. 
but I saw you and some others, I think on Telegram, not on uh, not on Twitter, talking about using the channels or the the logging stacks to, you know, send things off to um, Sentry or to send them off to Slack or whatever, depending on the on the level, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool as yeah. well, which I hadn't thought of of doing. But uh, I get enough notifications in Slack without without any of that. Yeah, most of the time when I um. The, the, basically, the two that I use are error and info, right? I mean, like that's typically yeah. like logger info, logger yeah. error, and that's it. But then if you do start doing like warning, critical, um, whatever, there's, you know, there's like things like seven different levels that are defined or whatever. Then you can just um, say, hey, if it's really, really important, if it's an emergency, then go ahead and notify Slack, which is pretty cool. Here's the other thing that I did. So I was, this is one of those, I'm trying to embrace as much as I can do what is needed to get this feature out there and into the world and get feedback and then iterate, right? So one of the things they wanted is they were like, hey, we want to be notified when somebody logs in and starts a new transaction on this new payment system we have set up. Like, sure, yeah, we can do that. Hey, we want to know when somebody logs in with a bad code. In fact, in particular, this one letter. We sent out a bunch of we sent out a bunch of letters that had an access code of the letter A. Like <laughs> they, yeah. they forgot to substitute in the value that was supposed to go Oops. in there from the data set. And so they all these letters went out and was like, hey, your access code is the letter A. And so anytime somebody put in an A for the access code, they wanted to notify, right, the <laughs> core managers. Um, so anyway, instead of setting up like notifications and mail and all of that stuff, all I did is I said, when you log it, uh, prefix it with notify core, just all caps, notify core. And then in paper trail, I just set up a new alert that says, listen for any logs that come in that have a, a, you know, that contain notify core and send an email. So I just used paper trail to handle the notifications to our team. And what that allows me to do is essentially like I was able to set that up in all of about five minutes, right? Do the log from the application, go to paper trail, set up the notification, call it good. And once they start complaining because there's too many of them, then we can start triaging them. But if it's not a problem, if there's actually not that many happening, then don't worry about it. Like let the pain guide your development, right? But it was way easier to do that. And then it was to like go through like, okay, we're going to set up a new notification. Got to make sure that we have some mail driver set up, you know, have to dispatch that notification from somewhere. You just logger info, notify core, say whatever you want to say and call it a day. Right. So it was pretty cool. Yeah. Nice. Leveraging those third party systems. Got to leverage. Got to leverage. As you say, get, get things out as quickly as possible and then iterate, Mm -hmm. which I think is, is like a nice agile approach. Yeah, right, right. Agile, agile lowercase a, not agile as in, you know. Agile has agile. become such a dirty word, hasn't it? Yeah. Agile has always been, in the businesses that I've been in, introduced as a, we can change our minds whenever we want kind of thing, which is obviously not what agile is about. It just, it helps those, yeah. And, and agile is something that you really need buy-in from the entire business, from from the top down. Um, otherwise, it just doesn't work. So being able to be agile without following agile, I think is is pretty important. And and the biggest driver for that, as you suggest, is getting things into the hands of your users as quickly as possible in the most usable format possible. With, with the least amount of work. Yeah, right? It's like... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, move fast and break things. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we... Not really, not break things, but yeah. Yeah, no. But yeah, basically being able to like get those things out to your users and have them like use it and then figure out, okay, well, this bit doesn't quite do what we want. So then you 
change that bit and then oh actually we meant this okay so the, and you know just tweaking the knobs rather than you know spending days or weeks and not showing them anything and, and then getting right to the end and then going you know here's the thing and then they go no that's not how we use it or you misinterpreted the requirements or whatever so yeah bit by bit rapid iteration multiple deployments you know getting things out there and, and being able to deploy things quickly and easily um, is is really crucial to that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if it's not easy to deploy, then it's going to be a pain in the butt, right? It's going to yeah. be like so hard to do. So you got to make sure you got that pipeline set up for your deployments. Oh my word, so many things I was thinking of while you were talking. <laughs> one of the things, Go I'm on. trying to figure out which one I want to talk about here. Um, Jeffrey Way said something interesting this last week uh, and it kind of goes with something else I saw this week. So the, the first one was uh, the one that Jeffrey didn't say. I don't remember who it was. But she basically said, um, like, it's okay to, like, delete code. Like, you know that whole idea, write code you can delete. Her idea was not, like, write code that's easy to delete. Her code or her idea was, like, go ahead and write out a solution, get your head around it, delete all your code and start over. I was like, huh, that's interesting. And she was like, part of it is just a problem-solving process. Like, it's discovering what the problem is and what your solution is, right? And a lot of times what ends up happening is you get halfway through your code, you're like, oh, 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 that's how I'm going to solve that. Okay, okay. So then mm. you kind of start working towards it. And she was just like, no, 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 just delete. Just delete everything. Start over. Now you have a clear picture of what it is you're trying to accomplish. Start over. She's like, you'll be amazed at how fast you'll write that code the second time and probably better, which I thought was interesting. Kind of along with that was what Jeffrey Way said, which he was talking about like the TDD style sort of thing. And basically what I took away from it was like, if you're not refactoring, you're practically missing the entire point, right? Yeah. It's like, that's what that's what TDD affords you, is it affords you the yeah. ability to really quickly sketch out and test, here's the end result. And then once you've accomplished the end result, then it's just, you can refactor and refactor and refactor and refactor with yeah. confidence that the end result is not changing. And so many yeah. times I and feel that's, like people miss that's the that. whole point. Yeah, they do red, yeah. green, and then they stop. They never hit refactor. Yeah, and they, and they move on, yeah. so the, and, and especially if you're writing out the test first and you are truly test driving your development if once you get that test to pass you look at that code and you go you know the, the code you write the first time is hardly ever the code that is the most optimal or that is the code that you want to leave in your application for someone else to deal with later um you know it, it will probably be you right in 12 months time you'll look at this and go which freaking idiot wrote this yeah and that's, you know, as as you mentioned, the the refactor is key. And I suppose sometimes test-driven development gets disjointed from red-green refactor. Mm. Um, and, you know, as you, as you mentioned and, and as Jeffrey wrote on Twitter, and, you know, we'd, we'd link to the tweets, but Jeffrey deletes his tweets every two weeks and they're gone now forever. <laughs> seriously? Um, Is this seriously? seriously he, wow. he seriously deletes all of his tweets every 14 days, which, I mean, maybe some politicians could take take uh, some advice from that's from interesting that. you know um he did explain it at some point i remember i remember him I saying think, that i just didn't realize that yeah. he did that like continuing yeah, I basis think, and i think just as a tangent i think it's just like opinions change so often and you know there's mm -hmm. no point keeping them in in perpetuity on the internet especially on twitter because you know you want to be able to change your mind and uh i suppose this is a good way because yeah i mean who remembers every single thing they said over the over their entire life so i think it's like it's probably a, it's probably a like a mind like a just like a shift in the way that you view Twitter. Like if you view it as very ephemeral and like it's not going to stick around, you're probably not going to invest mm -hmm. a ton of time in the thing that you're saying on there, right? So like if you really want something to, if you want to say something that you want to stick around, then you're going to like, you know, 
make a blog post out of it or something, right? Make yeah, a video exactly. post or something and make it more permanent. But if you just, if you know that it's going to be deleted in 14 days anyway on Twitter, you're just going to be like, I can just kind of throw something up there and it doesn't really make it a yeah. huge difference. You know, people can always take a screenshot, yeah. I guess, if you're going to be a real yeah. jerk about it, but yeah, whatever. Yeah, but um, you know, that refactor is good, especially with some of the stuff that we've been doing where we've been driving out, you know, interfaces and then, you know, writing the code to, to get all the tests to pass. And then look, as I said, you look at it and you go, hmm, I'm not happy with that. That doesn't, you know, it doesn't doesn't bring me joy. Yeah. So we'll, yeah. we'll refactor and, and go again. Let's, throw it away. Let's throw out that code that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Let's extract this to a method. Like, and I think even Taylor tweeted about this recently where he would like write everything just in his controller method and then he'll yeah. go back. You know, yeah, yeah. once it's all working, once the tests all pass, then he'll extract, you know, form request objects or Correct. he'll extract private methods or whatever else. But it helps you like to look at it from the outset, like here is everything I need to make this pass. The test says everything is good and it does what I expect it to do. Um, and then you go and start extracting all those methods rather yep. than starting with And like, nothing should change. Yeah, your test yeah, should yeah, still exactly. stay green, right? Yeah. And I think that's too like, like not necessarily the only measure of a good test, right? But for the purposes of what I'm trying to do, that sort of is the measure of good test. What I find a lot of times is that people have... People sometimes don't get to the refactor step because of the way that they're writing the tests. So there is nothing wrong with like, you know, if you're if, if you're in the thick of it and you're trying to make sure, ah, does this thing do what I think it does? Like, like this little piece inside here, is this behaving how I want it to behave? Sometimes what you'll yeah. do is you'll just take that little snippet and kind of paste it in the tinker and be like, okay, yeah, that, that's doing what I want. Other times you'll like write a test for it and say like, okay, does this little thing work? What What is a mistake though, I think, is when you leave that in your test. Or like uh, Sometimes what you do is like on this object, you'll create a method as like public just to kind of like inspect it. Like, is that what is, is that doing what I want it to do? But once yeah. you're confident that that's doing what, it's, what it needs to do, if that's not the end result that you're trying to test ultimately, delete that test. You do not want implementation details tied into your test because then you can't refactor. That's that's the whole thing, right? So if you have these implementation details, you can't swap out the implementation details if you have tests that are tied to those. You only need mm -hmm. to test like, here's the end result. Here's the thing that I care about is happening. Is this file getting written, getting, getting written to this point if I have this input? The rest of it doesn't matter, right? Yeah. So if you're yeah. testing the correct things, then all the stuff in the middle can can change out completely and your test doesn't care as long as the end result still happens with the same input. Yeah. And so yeah. that's a kind of thing what I'm walking through with some of my um, some of my team is trying to figure okay, how could you write this test so that you could change the implementation and it's not going to break it. And so what ends up, you know because if otherwise you just end up with like a really really brittle code base and you can't refactor and so it doesn't doesn't it's helping you some. It's not helping you as much as it could. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. <sighs> Okay, what do you got, man? I have other crap I could talk about. You know me. I'm, I'm Mr. <laughs> Mr. It's, uh, you know. Jibba Jabba Jake. Jibba Jabba Jake. Did you see that picture I sent the other day? Say that again? <laughs> we, were, we were out the other day. I sent a photo of this kid's toy. It's like a frog. It's called Jibba Jabba Jake. <laughs> I didn't see. Where would you put this at? Cash money? In, uh, yeah, in, in Telegram. Gosh, I don't think I saw this. Oh, yeah. I just found it. <laughs> Oh, I totally missed it. I totally Sway missed Jake it. Sway Jake to hear him make noise. That's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> Jibber Jabber Jake. Nice. Uh, Nicely done. That's that's a cute toy though. It is. It is. Uh, we ended up getting him a dragon. You pull on it on its like thing and its wings fly up. Oh, that sounded like, really weird. Eli's going to put yeah, <laughs> pull on its thing. Yeah. And its wings It's fly. a kid's toy. How, how bad could it be? 
<laughs> oh gosh. It's like you pull on a dog's thing and he's uh, and he wags his tail. Yep. And yeah. that's how it works, right? I think that's how it works. That's right. That's exactly right. Speaking um, of dogs. Shh. Shh. Speaking of dogs. I think are we're you getting a puppy. I think we are. <laughs> Don't tell the kids. Hopefully by the time this is out, we'll have it. Nice. Are you, what are you what are you getting? What are you looking at? It is Big dog, small dog. A cavapoo. You're getting a labradoodle. Cavapoo. Cavapoo. I know. They but just keep coming up with different names for these things. They keep, they keep mixing these things up that they shouldn't be mixed up. I know. I don't know if Laura's going to be irritated with me for saying this. On, I don't think she cares. Nobody listens to this anyway. Who am I kidding? Right? Does anybody actually listen to this? We've got no listeners. We've got no listeners. If you listen to this and you actually, you know, come talk to us. But I don't Do think Do you know how we'll know for sure? If every single one of our listeners tweets at us, we'll know that people are listening. That's a great idea. I think we should do that. But no one ever tweets at us, so obviously no one's ever <gasps> Ooh, listening. Somebody, please give us names for the dog. We're still working on it, but I would really love suggestions. So, yeah, it's a cavapoo. So, um, there's a million different kinds, right? But we found this breeder and they have this dog is freaking adorable. Looks like a little teddy bear, man. I'm telling you, <laughs> it just looks like a teddy bear. I'll have to put it, we'll have to put it in the show notes. I'll send you a picture. Went and saw it today. I don't... They don't stay that size, though. I know. I know. You know he what, he's you know what be... stays like a cute little teddy bear? A yep. cute little teddy bear. A cute little teddy bear. Doesn't get any bigger. You have a dog, though, right? So you're not like a dog hater. You just... You I don't know. Say... I love dogs. Yeah. Okay. I love dogs, too. I really honestly could go my whole life without having one in my house right now. But I, I love dogs. I do. They're good. They're good animals. <laughs> he, but... Sheldon is... He, he, he turned seven. Sheldon, he was seven right. on Wednesday. He turned seven. And he still thinks he's the size of a puppy and he still bounds around like a little puppy. Do you sometimes feel like you have two children? Sometimes? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of dead. He actually ran inside the house the other day and like just slid on Eli's mat and scared the crap out of <laughs> Eli. So Eli's like, Ooh. That's awesome. And he's just like looking at Sheldon crying. And I'm like, don't worry. He's fine. You're fine. No one got stood on. Everything's he's feel, fine. He feels so bad. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry. So sorry, Eli. <laughs> He's um he's starting to sit now. And so like I plopped him down. I'm like, I'll just get my phone out and take a photo. And he fell sideways. <laughs> and yep. he Bonk. was not expecting to fall sideways. So he was straight away crying, of course. Those first babies, they're so sensitive. They just think that, you know, the world is coming to it's an bounce. end. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Number four. Uh, I can't even anyways. tell you how many bruises that kid has on his I mean, that <laughs> sounds so terrible, but it's literally true. I mean, no, like, I've heard that from he other just parents, like, yeah. I mean, he just falls all over the place. You know, he just he's crazy he's a climber he's insane yeah but yep that's how it is it's birth order man like it makes a big difference yeah. you know the eldest is the the most uh coddled and and, and honestly rightfully and so like they end up being a, a huge leader like in the family like they help yeah. you know with the other kids a lot so um yeah i don't need any other alphas just just yep. Ray. that's fine there you go <laughs> oh ooh. <laughs> She never listens to this either, so she's not self-deprecating humor. I don't think she'd make it this far into an episode. No, nope, definitely not. <laughs> she gets the first three minutes and then the last three minutes, maybe. That's right. Yeah. So anyway, dog. It's gonna be fun. I'm excited, and it's um, be good. we've been looking for a dog for a long time. Laura's been trying to convince me for forever, and so she finally got me to the dark side. So we're gonna make it happen. Oh, yeah. Ree's Ree's trying to convince me to get a second one, and I'm like, you don't oh, need gosh. a second one. Yep. One's enough. One's enough trouble. Yep. It's true. Um, anyway, okay. Yeah. What in, do you got? In weeks gone by, we've talked about my woes with like server issues and they're finally yeah. coming to an end. Let's hear we, about it. Yeah. We found some servers or I think in maybe the last episode that we recorded, I said that we had found some servers that, that our like group IT 
said, why aren't you using these? And I said, we didn't know they were there. So we provisioned some new database servers and we've started moving some things across and uh, it's pretty nice. It's quick. They're on SSDs. So like everything just happens really quickly as opposed to like sitting there nice. and churning away on yeah, a yeah. spindle. So, but they've set it all up like ready to scale from day one because like we are planning on scaling with, with what we're doing. So um, it's all, we're on a modern version of MariaDB. So I think we're on MariaDB oh, nice. 10.3. Why, why, why Maria be, over MySQL? I don't know. I just said, That's please okay. send me up yeah. a data. I think because we were using Maria already. Sure. Um, but we but we were using like Maria DB55. So before okay. the split, um, where it was still like feature compatible with MySQL. Sure. So I figured they just went with kind Maria DB. Yeah. Yeah. We ha- you had Maria, so we'll keep using Maria. Makes sense. It'll be interesting to see how much we'll break when we start moving other parts of the database across. Like we're gonna have to turn off some of the strict mode stuff like zero zero yeah. dates and things like that because I had to do that um, recently. we're using zero dates in some places. So it'll be interesting to see how much breaks, how much we can't import. Um, we had to turn on binary logging. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, I don't know in what that our, is. Like, so binary logging is used for replication. I bet you there's something about this in Chris Fidel's uh, up, uh, recently released MySQL backups course. So binary logging basically contains all the events that describe changes in the database. So it's used for replication. So your database server would write to that binary log. The binary log would then replay the events to like to your replicated, like your secondary servers. Interesting. So, you know, we've got that all set up. When, when we turn that on, it like ground everything to a halt for like an hour as it was like trying to write all the events. So... There's an indication that we need a, a server if ever I saw one. So we moved some of the the less critical stuff off first just so that we can like shuffle some things around uh, to buy us a bit of runway. But they've got this thing like set up to scale from day one. The servers are quite large. We're running Galera cluster for like multi-primary active, 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 active clustering. So... Basically, that means that we can read and write to any node in the cluster at any time. So if one of the servers goes down, um, so we've got three running, so we can write to the like DB1. And if DB1 goes down, then we'd write to DB2. Like it doesn't matter. Doesn't um, care. Everything goes through. Yeah, everything will go through proxy SQL. Um, and oh, we'll just point to whatever. You're using proxy SQL? Yeah, we're, we're planning to. Um, it's all set up and, and running. So we'll be using that um, at least to, to, it'll help to transition from the, from the current database service to the new ones as well but this new environment is funny because it's all like on the other network like our parent company's network so i've got to like vpn into that network and then i have to proxy jump like through to jump host via ssh to get to the database server on the third hop just to do anything so it's it's a it's a bit of like enterprisey fun with all of the the layers of security and and obfuscation and stuff like that so you're using, are you using are you using proxy SQL to do obfuscation? Um, no, proxy SQL initially. I think we're just using as a means to basically allow us to point everything at the proxy, and then that will handle like keeping all the traffic going to our existing database servers. And then when we're ready to switch across to the new cluster, it will just like redirect all the traffic over there. Yeah, they got query um, routing. Yeah. Yeah, so we don't have to worry about yeah. any of that kind of stuff. So, 
that'll help a lot. We've got some bottlenecks at the moment with Radius. Um, that's quite write heavy. Um, when you think you've got, you know, tens of thousands of customers all sending an accounting packet every 10 minutes or every, every 30 minutes, depending on what kind of service they're on. You've got customers authenticating, you've got services dropping out and re-authenticating. So every time that happens, there's like a packet gets written by Radius that then writes to the database to say, hey, this session ended or this session started. Um, we do data accounting, which is like 4,000 queries every five minutes across you know a whole bunch of stuff. So having some extra performance and caching and, and, and failover and um, I mean... I, I would have thought we'd be okay for a while in terms of just having hardware that is not like nine years old, sure. or seven years old. Yeah, yeah. That Well, sorry, that went end of life seven years ago. Oh so, gosh. you know, it's older than that. Uh, but yeah, they've they've got all this stuff sitting there. So yeah, it's just a matter of migrating applications across, getting ready to scale. So we'll move everything over to more powerful servers. We'll have... Um, high availability, which we haven't had in the past, which means like moving all of our Laravel applications across to using Redis for um, sessions and, and cache and all that right. kind of yeah, stuff. Because yeah. you know you can't do file-based sure. sessions and cache on a on a multi-server environment. So yeah, no, no, the um, nice thing about that though is that like that allows you to uh, be able to move move stuff around and, and not really care at all. Like so, if nothing's being using if nothing's using the local file system. It doesn't matter at all, right? You can just nuke servers and spin up new ones yep. and just doesn't make any difference at all. Yeah, so I'm um, still not Docker anywhere. These these are some guys that have been like in the in the ISP industry for a, a long, long time. So they know what works and what scales yeah. and like we're not going to shift technologies for the sake of shifting to technologies sure. at the moment. Um, and, you know, we've got expertise there in the existing stuff. So, you know, Longer term, maybe it'll benefit us, but you know we've got all this equipment there. We've we've got quite a lot of equipment sitting there, ready for us to use and ready for us. That's to That's awesome, man. So. Hey, speaking of proxy SQL, proxy SQL, I was looking this up mm. for a completely unrelated reason this last week. I was like, I want a way to be able to pull down production data and use it in a development environment, but obfuscate or otherwise replace production data that's sensitive. Right, so if I have client names that are something that's in there, so basically my my developer, my other developer, he cannot have access to the production database, but mm -hmm. I would like for him to be able to use a semi-production database in his testing before we push it out to production, right? So how do I accomplish that? Well, you have a couple different options. You could create some sort of service, right, where like... He can't have access to it, so I can't have him pull it down and replace the data on it once he has it, right? I have to have something that does that. So yeah. you could either make something that takes hourly snapshot backups or snapshot backups and then does the mm -hmm. obfuscation and replacement, and then he could just pull down the latest one. Or with mm -hmm. Proxy SQL, you can actually, there was this um, talk that the creator of Proxy SQL gave where they essentially just write these really simple rules and it uh, looks at the query that you're running and says, uh, the rule says who are you logged in as. So you can have like a user called developer. And then if you're logged in and doing the query as developer, then you have these regex queries that essentially you can say, if the column name is this, go ahead and replace it with this. Or go ahead and give me the result of that query column 
and just make it the first two digits of that credit card number or something and the last the rest of them need to be x's right so you can do these regex replacements which is pretty cool i hope you've so it's only like, got that already what's that you don't i hope i hope you don't have the full card number no 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 of course not no we never we would never store that but um no and in our system it stores as like it's i think because we don't ever, we, our payment processor stores all of that. None of that ever touches us. Uh, so mm-hmm. the, the the payment process just hands back to us credit card, star, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. 4481, yeah. right? So we yeah, never yeah, we, yeah, yeah. we never even touch that. But that was just one of the examples that they gave, right? Yeah, hopefully, right. hope to God you would never store the PAN number anyway. <laughs> no, please don't do that. It would be bad. But that thought, I thought that was interesting. That uh, That was pretty cool. What I ended up doing for the one little thing I needed was using this... Um, this thing called car wash, which essentially allows you to, you, you, it basically looks at your database and then you run car wash on it. And it basically has a list of rules that you do the same thing with. It just doesn't live. It's just not live. Right. So I pulled down a production database to mine, ran the car wash on it, and then handed that database over to my other guy to say like, Hey, here's a, here's a version of the production database that you can use that has no sensitive information mm-hmm. in it. Yeah. Like all the names were replaced with random names. All the emails were replaced with random emails, right? Pretty cool though. Yeah. There's, I mean, there are arguments for and against that, I guess. We we used to do the same thing at my last ISP job where we would have, like we would have from the backups, we would then create obfuscated data that we would then push into our development environments because sometimes you need the, like the real-ish data and there are variables in terms of like billing, for example, we do monthly billing for, for customers. So you would want to have when when running the like the invoicing system, for example, you'd want to be able to run that against actual right. like customer cycles and things like that to see how things behave. Mm-hmm. Um, I, know, I know that there are arguments. I know that Matt Stauffer, when he spoke at Laracon US and at Laracon AU last year, he spoke about, you know, don't use production data use better cedars cedars yep um yeah so which i think I mean, I for the vast majority of the time that's what that's what i do right but yeah you um, would use seeds for most most yep. cases i think but when you want to say like i need to i've made changes to the billing system and i want to run those changes against the customers that will be billed tomorrow to see that the change i've made does what we're expecting against that set of customers sure then I think that's a really valuable thing. And it's something that we've done in the past and, and you know, that we'll probably continue to do in the future as opposed to trying to like seeding 500 or 600 or 1,000 service records that all, you know, get billed tomorrow on different plans and in different configurations and with different like add-ons and things like that. Yeah, I think, as I said, there are there are arguments for and against and in favor of, doing it that way versus cedars we ended up not using that at all but i mean you know and it was probably like a very one-off situation for what i need right now but it was uh when you said proxy uh sql i was like oh no way i just looked at that so that's kind of (laughs) cool yeah i'll Um, let you know how we go with that yeah we've just set it all up on um friday uh i was so i was not at work so i'll be playing around with that this week and, it looks like a great project. Really, really cool project out there. It looks really source. nice. It looks very yeah, sleek. It does. Um, they have great documentation. The, good site. Yeah. The only the only downside really is that you have to configure the same users in both places. Oh, okay. So you have to configure your database user in Proxy SQL and you have to configure it on your database server. Okay. 
and then Proxy SQL will handle the actual auth- authentication. Interesting. Um, so, the, I mean, there's that, which is the only real minor downside, I guess, to it. But, you know, you only have to do that once. True so, And how often are you configuring new databases? Exactly. Really? Not often. Not often. Okay. Uh, what else we got here? I've got uh, ran in some interesting rounding errors this last week. Oh, rounding errors are the best. Let's talk about them. Okay. So, we had... The, so not our system thank god like i i learned from adam wathen basically he was like never never ever ever never store things in floating point don't do it nope always store them in integer values smallest integer value yep yep and so um we do that on our side however the payment provider that we're interfacing with uh and the system that we're pulling stuff from does not Mm -hmm. it stores it Mm -hmm. in a floating point um, and so you'll end up with sometimes you get a number back like 300. Sometimes you get a number back like 300.9, right? So like yeah. $300.90. Sometimes you get like 300.09 or sometimes you just get like 300 dot or whatever, right? It might not be anything. So you get these weird things like that. Um, but the one case that we had, we had a guy who came in and made a payment and he tried to pay his bill in full and mm-hmm looked at it and the next day he came in and he was like what the heck like there's one cent i missed one cent off so he tried to make a payment of the one cent and then it didn't like it didn't work and so he tried to make another payment of one cent so we ended up having to like refund him like two cents it was stupid yeah but what happened is a rounding error so you you came in and you basically said uh float to int in php and it looked at it and said yep "Yep, i got it no problem and it rounded it and it it dropped the yeah it dropped it down so it was uh, like 300.35 and it dropped, it dropped it to 300.34. And I was yeah. like, why the heck does it do this? Like, why is it doing yeah. this? And I figured out it's because it's using binary in the back to do that, uh, right? It's ugh. so a, it's a binary conversion and binary conversion does not have the same sort of accuracy, I guess, mm. that you would. So what we ended up doing was a little interesting because of those kind of different formats that it's going to come back in so it may come back with a decimal might come back without a decimal it might come back with a single decimal point might come back with both decimal points right you don't know but what we ended up doing is we said okay take the number let's say you have 300 let's just say for example you have 300.2 okay so we take and we say split on the period so explode take the string explode on period and if there is a period, then it explodes it and it separates into the dollars and the cents. If there isn't a period, it doesn't care. You still get the first half, which is dollars, right? Yeah. So then you say, okay, I've got the dollars. Store that in a variable over here. Cents is the second half. So if there exists a second piece to that explode statement, go ahead and give me that back. Otherwise, just create it as zero, zero. Okay. Then you say, add zero, zero to that. Okay, so that means like if it didn't exist or if there was only a single decimal point, what you're going to end up with is a string of at least two characters, right? So if it was just dot three, it's going to come back as dot three zero zero for the sense, right? And then Mm -hmm. you basically say, give me the first two characters of that. That's your sense. Yeah. And then you just concatenate them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's it. That is awful. It is awful. Yeah, floating points is awful. When... When they were building our current accounting system, the developer at the time reached out to me and they said, how should I do this? And I said, do it with integers. And then when I started working there five years later, I discovered that he obviously did not listen to what I said and everything's floats and everything's two decimal floats. Our payment, like a credit card gateway, 
does everything in sense. So now we have to send everything in sense. So we have to do the division now. The new accounting software that we're using or looking to use or will be moving to in the coming months does everything with floats, which is a real weird thing for a payment provider to do, I would have thought, but here we are. Um, <laughs> at, at my last ISP job, when we rewrote our billing system there, we went to three decimal places. Okay. We that. passed everything around as cents, but the payment system would then convert everything to three decimal places because you shift those rounding errors out of like where it's relevant. So the rounding error would happen at the thousandth of a cent yeah. and shouldn't then affect like the actual yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The actual you know, like payment amount, money right? that you can take. Yeah. But but tax always causes issues. You know, you get a nice and especially in the US where like your tax amounts change, they're like seven percent, nine percent, seven and a half percent. Ours is a flat ten percent, but it still introduces rounding issues, such that in our actual tax law, it says that your invoices must display the X tax and the ink tax amount and the tax amount and your invoices must they they must either add up across the invoice so that the x tax plus the tax amount must equal the total or they must equal down the columns so that the x the the tax amount and the the total all you know reach the the correct right. sum but you can't you won't get it in all instances to be equal across and down. So, <sighs> because they know because of the tax, there will be rounding errors and you can go one way or the other, but there will always be some issue at some point to the, you know, to the point where we had like some weird customer that was chasing us for like three cents of overpayment oh or word. something like that. I was like, get a life. Yeah. They're like, <laughs> we're changing this into a class action lawsuit. It's bad faith. You're, you're taking yeah. three cents from everybody. It's office space. Yeah. <laughs> Right. So yes, working working with floats horrible. Yes. Um, doing maths on floats is horrible. Do you round up in the company's benefit or round down in the customer's benefit? Um, as an ethical developer, I would say round down in the customer's benefit. But you yeah, know, absolutely. We don't always make those decisions as ethical developers. Sometimes we just have to yell and stomp our feet, and uh, the business is going to do what the business is going to yep. do anyway. Yep. Um. Yeah, folks, don't don't use floats. <laughs> it's just going to lead to issues when you start doing calculations, when you start multiplying, you know, X products by Y, you know, item, by, you know, Y quantity, doing any kind of tax calculations, you're going to end up with like multiple decimal places. You're not, it's like, it doesn't work in two. You, you don't have, want to do it. No. Integers... Uh, you won't you won't integers. realize it until you're too late. The siren song of the yeah, floating that's point. Correct. Yeah. It, it, they, yeah, it it'll sounds be so like sweet. months or years yep. down the track, and that's when it'll bite you. Um, yeah. Look, and if you think the two of us don't know what we're talking about, Adam Wyland said do it as integers, and he's way smarter than the two of us combined. True story. Um, Stripe does everything in integers because you know they're sensible and they're doing things the right way. So. Um, if you don't believe, believe us, listen to those two. Yep. Integers all the way. Integers. Okay. I have also got here... Uh, hmm. 
I can talk about the power of habit and keystone habits. Yeah. I'm reading this good book called the power of habit. It's really awesome. And this Run. idea that I want to have like at our, like, so I want to put up a sign outside my <laughs> office that says it's been this many days since a production error. Mm-hmm. And then if you get a production error, you have to change the days to zero. zero. And uh, yeah. Right. And because we it's had been two this many days since someone noticed a production error. No, no, we had a, produ- so we had two this week. We shipped them, oh. shipped them and they broke immediately. And I'm like, what the oh. heck? We shipped the what? What the happened? We just shipped the bed. I just shipped my bed. <laughs> I just uh, shipped my pants. Yep, it's a great commercial. Um, but yeah, we shipped the bed twice. <laughs> so we, like a day apart. I was like, yeah. "All right, ship it." And everybody's like, "It broke." Like what? What the heck? Oh, we didn't run. You know, when the when we approved that, forgot to run composer install or something. Oh uh, crap! Tests passed, but oh, oh darn it. Okay, okay, okay change it push it up there we go okay let's make sure that doesn't happen again and then it was like hey if you've got a good test suite make sure you run it i have to keep telling one of my developers he'll send me things like this is ready for you to review and then i get it and i pull it down and i run the test and they don't pass and i'm like do you run the test you write yeah, before did, you did submit you, them or did you actually run this or no okay. yeah okay no no i didn't all right okay please run your tests yeah make sure they pass so that was the other that was the other thing is we had like it was a, a bug that happened in seven three and it wasn't caught in seven two. So it was a compact, like when you do compact and like you're sending in um variables to the compact statement. Do you know what compact does? In PHP. Yes. Okay, you do. Yes. Okay, yes. So anyway, in seven two, if you try and pass compact an undefined variable, it doesn't care. It just ignores it. it says oh, no problem. Oh. 7.3, it does not. It blows up. And so ran the tests and it worked fine. And he re- pulled it down, worked fine. He proved it looks good. Deployed it 7.3. Mm-hmm. Nope, doesn't like it, broke. And everybody's like, uh. what the heck? So I'm like, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to make it like, we're going to really focus on not shipping production bugs. And then also like after we get to the point where we're saying like, hey, we're not shipping production bugs that anybody notices, then we're going to say, let's get our sentry errors down to like zero errors. Like that would be mm. great. So we're going to focus on that as a keystone habit. Yeah. And because uh, like these keystone habits are habits that really end up affecting everything about the way that you work, right? So if we say, hey, we want to push zero production bugs, then you look at the thing that's causing all these problems, which is like this MySQL server that kind of keeps going away and flaking out for like two seconds and then comes back. And hey, no problem. I mean, like it, it happens every once in a while, but it's like if you're really going for like zero production bugs, it's like, okay, we're going to rebuild that or we're going to build a new server or whatever. So, you know, these keystone habits just change everything about the way that you do your work. And so they end up having a lot of mm. ripple effects through uh, the rest of your organization. So that's what we're going for. Yeah. That's what we're doing. Hoping that the new servers make all of those weird database issues go away. Yes. Just go go away. And then if you know, if they come back then then we'll address them as like deficiencies in code. But for the time being, we're pretty sure that most of our issues are from deficiencies in hardware. So fingers crossed they all start to go away. That'd be awesome. There's a big push to like move all of our stuff. So which is fine because we already rebuilt a whole chunk of stuff. We've updated like all of our main applications are deployed by a, a common Envoy configuration now. So we just like go and deploy it to this server and we don't have to worry about it. It does all the all the building of assets and things like that. So what we will look to do as we move forward is use our self-hosted GitLab so that we can like have a deployment 
pipeline in there so that we can we'd run it manually but we'll be able to go from there to like deploy this and all of the artifacts and stuff rather than having to do it as a manual command and that way we don't have to worry about like getting permissions right and things like that it all just happens so but we're like 12 months into having moved to laravel and we still get like obscure undefined indexes in parts yeah, yeah. of the code I've and things like too. that from from like legacy bits of the application like variables <laughs> that are just never instantiated but referenced ever- later on or there was an interesting one where there was like doing a count on a variable oh yeah right? it's not countable which or whatever you, in 7.3 which, or something. it's not countable so it was like you know, you rewrote this. I'm like, no, you just didn't write it properly the first time. Like, you can't count a, a value. Like, <laughs> that's not what count is for. Yeah. So I've had some of those. And then, like, you, are you ever guilty of, like, you do this? For those of you who can't see, you kind of, like, just cover your eyes and just click the resolve button <laughs> yeah. on the error. Yeah. You're like, hey, yeah. um, that's probably not going to happen again sometime soon. And it didn't really break anything. So just click resolve or yeah. ignore yeah. like it's fine yeah or any of the database ones like mysql server went away yeah, or yeah like exactly it's like transaction oh. deadlock exactly you know, you're like, it's uh, like yeah resolve. just like we don't even resolve them we just delete them it's like yeah. no, i don't have to worry about that <laughs> exactly exactly um so yeah i'm looking forward to i, I kind of want to like make that big deal i want to be like hey we're gonna go i want my goal to be like 100 days like i want that i want it to be like 100 days with literally zero bugs, zero production bugs. And so what that means, honestly, is like everybody, nobody's going to want to be the person to have to write that zero back on the board, right? If the whole mm-hmm. team is working hard to be like, hey, we don't have production bugs and it's going to happen, right? It happens, right? Workplace injuries happen too, right? But what it means is that everybody's going to be like, oh crap, like does this code actually work? Like I got to make sure that this works, right? And I'm going to check yeah. it too. But like if you are the one who wrote the code that broke it, it's on you, kind yeah. of, right? Like, I'm going to try and take you responsibility like too. Do you, like, walk from the office and ring the bell? Yep. Shame. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People start, like, throwing put the cow, put, put the cowbell around their neck and have them walk yeah. around the office. Yeah. Yeah. Chiding them. That's yeah. funny. I won't do that again. Yeah. Yep. You will not. Although, one of my developers, he's on leave for two weeks now. He went to Japan. So, even if something happens in his code, which did happen on friday and i said i'm i'm not i'm on annual leave leave me alone uh so i'll have to fix that we're doing load testing this week so that'll be oh fun. yeah yeah I, load uh, and pen testing so ooh, pen testing that's always fun too doing a black box or like white box i don't know so black Someone box is when department. yeah black box is when it's like hey here's the application go break it here's the url we're giving you nothing mm-hmm. go tell us what's wrong with it right and then white box is like, hey, here is some information. Like maybe here's a login to the system. Yeah. Go ahead and try and yeah, see think, if you can elevate privileges. Or... Then. Yeah. Yeah. We're white boxing. So it's um, some free pen testing for Laravel, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. No, sure we've... that kind of stuff will be fine. So. Yeah. No, we have our stuff pen tested every quarter, I think. Laravel holds up extremely well. I mean, yeah. I don't think they've ever come back with something that was like, oh, that was you know, that was bad code on Laravel. It's always like, you know, maybe something yeah. we did or, or something, we're sending some information across the wire and headers that we shouldn't be, but it's never like, it's yeah. always like a, maybe a PHP thing, but I've never had like something that was like a glaring Laravel mistake. Um, yeah. I mean, I got, re- I got a report that we had some non HTTP only cookies and that the cookies weren't secure, but 
that stuff was configured in the in the session config. So I don't think that it was Laravel cookies that were not being set mm. to HTTP only. But Jeff. I have to look at that tomorrow because I've got until Tuesday before they start testing and stuff. So wish me luck. Good luck. They want they want me to set up like content security policies and all that stuff. Oh, dude, like, don't I do don't it. I don't want to do that because every time I do that, everything just breaks. It does. Dude, it's brutal. We had... So that broke an entire system for us. Like we took it like it was like, you know, we wanted some security badge to display the like, hey, we're A plus rated or something. Yeah. I'm like, okay. So we did this content security policy thing and it did. It just broke crap and like just yeah. randomly. And if the yeah. thing is, it doesn't even have to like be a change that you make. Like if one of the part, third party things that you're integrating with makes a change, it breaks. Yeah. Like changes the domain it. that they serve from. Yeah. Exactly. So like if Google um, analytics or something, if Google changes, changes maps.google.com to google.com slash maps, which exactly. they did. Exactly. That's what I'm talking about. It just breaks everything. So it's like, oh, mm. it's a pain. It's a massive pain. So yep. yeah, constant security policies are good, but they can also be very difficult. Very difficult. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, we me? managed to break our... It wasn't like we don't manage the website, but they put on some content security policies on the... Like on our website. Mm-hmm. as part of the the in, like the pre pen test pen test and they're like you should do this and so they did that and then the website became a white page yeah yep which and because because it was javascript that was not rendering the like the monitoring we had on it still saw a 200 cuz like it was just the page wasn't yeah. rendering but it the server returned the 200 Comes so back with it was okay like response. Yeah, sites up. yep yeah which is yeah which is why like something like odir app would be Good because that actually looks for things on the page, I guess. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, Free plug there. I think Free plug there. we should wrap it. Wrap it. We should probably thank our sponsors. Before we do, are you ready for your weekly state machine goodness? Yeah. Dude, I've been thinking <laughs> it about be this. The state machine podcast with that one. I've been thinking about this recently. So number one, David Hubhill gave me a great example. We were talking about this the other day. I was trying to like, how do I illustrate a state machine really simply? And I thought Mario was a perfect example, or David thought Mario was a good example. I right, see so a small Mario to big Mario to flower power Mario to star power Mario to um, dead Mario to swimming Mario, right? All these different states of Mario. And so defining what takes you from one state to another state, how long it lives in that state, you know, what happens in those states when, when different events occur. So I thought that was really, really interesting. So if I'm giving a really super simple example, like if you think about like the very, very basic understanding of what a state machine would be, it's like you have a finite list of of states, right? So you have small Mario, you have large Mario, represent each one of those in your mind's eye as like a circle on the page. And then you have events or transitions that are lines between those circles. So you have small Mario on the left in a circle, large Mario on the right on a circle, and you have a line from small Mario to large Mario, which is get mushroom. That's the event that happens Mm -hmm. that transitions you from small Mario to large Mario. And then from large Mario, an arrow pointing backwards to small Mario would be enemy collision, right? Enemy collision is the event that happens. When that happens, you pass that to the machine and the machine says, what state am I currently in? Large Mario. What event just happened? Event collision. Great. Look it up. What needs to happen? Go to small Mario. Perfect. Move me over to small Mario. Very, very simple, all encapsulated. All the logic lives in one place for that state. Similarly, like if your small Mario has an event collision, the event happens, event collision or enemy collision. What state am I in? Small Mario. What happens? Move to dead Mario. Dead Mario. There you go. You've got an arrow that points from that to that one. 
And it's all represented not only in your code really nice and clean and consistently, but it also has what it, basically that circle and, and uh, arrow line mapping is called a state chart. So it very easily communicates all of that stuff. And you don't even have to write a, write a line of code to do that, right? It's free. So you can present that to stakeholders. You can present that to the developers. You can present that to the front end people. And you can all look at it and say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah that makes sense, right? Move. These are all the states that can be represented. And this is how you get from one state to the other ones. The interesting thing that is easier in JavaScript than it is in PHP is this idea of delayed transitions. So imagine for a moment that you go from large Mario to star power Mario. Well, star power only lives for a short period of time, right? So you go from large Mario to star power Mario when an event of get star occurs, right? So get star transitions you over, but then what needs to happen is after 30 seconds, you need to transition from star Mario back to large Mario, right? In PHP though, so typically the way that that happens, like in PHP, like if you're dealing with moving a, like a model or something from one state to another state is like a user interaction. So like if you had an invoice that's due and you need to move it to paid, typically a user is going to come to the page and pay the invoice and that's going to be the event, right? Invoice paid, right? Mm -hmm. But how do you do that? How do you do that in PHP? Like how do you have a timed event in PHP? Cause it's not like you have a timer that's sitting there running, right? So this whole idea of like delayed transitions can be solved with essentially like queued events, right? So like if you just like push something out of the queue and you say, hey, this is available at, or hey, delay this for this long, then you can automatically run a, uh, run a transition at a later point. Anyway, it's probably hard to explain on here and uh, it's 12.05, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> come short. But suffice it to say, it's been really, really interesting. And what I'm working through right now, like in my head, is I'm wanting to create a package that will do a lot of this for you. Um, mm -hmm. And specifically, this one is a difficult one, the delayed transitions. Um, and it's kind of like a, like a very common situation where state machines would be very helpful. But I couldn't come up with a good pattern for how to solve it until today when I was talking to myself about it in the car. I've found that to be a really helpful exercise for me. I know that sounds so funny and it is, but like, I'll be thinking about it and like, I'll just talk about it. Like I'm talking to you on air and it just, I end up coming up with solutions, rubber ducking, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Quack, quack. State machines. Sorry, everybody. Thanks for indulging me. <laughs> oh my. I mean, they don't have a choice. I mean, they can choose not to listen, but that's about it. Just fast forward. It's been interesting though. It's been really helpful in a couple of the problems that we've had solve, had to solve recently. We refactored an yeah. entire thing, ripped out a crap ton of code and just replaced it with some state machine stuff. And it was amazing. You just got to be careful with that state machine shaped hammer of yours. No, dude, I I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I like if you have an object that you are like, that you have a status on. Okay. If this is status, then yeah. Yeah. We're all guilty of this, right? Status. Yes. Yeah. And like you're inspecting timestamps to figure out what the status of that object is. No. Don't do that. It is so painful. I'm telling you, it's just like the, it's just like the storing things as decimals instead of integers. It's like one of those things mm -hmm. where like at first it's going to feel great. Oh, we just look at this timestamp. It's no big deal. Like it's a computed status. We just look at these two timestamps and we figure out if it's published or if it's in a, in, in a draft status, you know, no big deal. We just look at the published at timestamp. Perfect. And maybe, you know, maybe that works. Until you get a little more down the road and you figure out that, oh, we actually have a like 
rejected review status. And if it's in a rejected review, then we need to do this, or it's in an archived status, yeah. or it's in a whatever status. And once you start inspecting multiple timestamps to compute the status live, it starts getting into yeah. a large world of hurt. It gets crazy. Oh my yeah. gosh, really quickly. So, it just spirals really fast. So you're just, you're only ever firing, I guess, events into the state machine that something had happened and it is responsible for figuring out what state that object changes or transforms to? Yes. Yeah. Just literally very, very simple. Like it's so simple. Like you can think of it as like a nested array where like the top key is like the state that mm. you're going to be in. And then you have in that nested array, like the next thing is like, here's an event. Here's the next state that needs to go to. Here's an event. Here's the next state that it needs to go to. Yeah. So you kind of pass that map to a interpreter, right? And then that interpreter accepts like it keeps, it keeps track of like what the current state is. So like which one is that? And then it accepts an event. So if I'm in mm. large Mario and I get a, and I get a enemy collision, I go back to star, I go back to small. If I'm in star Mario and, in a, and I get an enemy collision, nothing changes. I just keep right on living as a large Mario with a star power. No big deal, yeah. right? So like it, it really helps to cut all these conditional sort of garbage statements out of there. You don't need them. You just pass the event and the, the thing can very easily look at it and say, do I need to handle that? If I do, great, yeah. handle it. And here's the logic for handling it. So you're doing all of this in JavaScript currently? No. Well, so I'm doing some of it in JavaScript depending on what I'm working on. But what I'm really, what I'm doing right now is I'm going to make a package for PHP and probably Eloquent, right? That allows me to do some mm -hmm. of these things really easily. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be handy. So like I had Cause a... Because we, uh, we did it at my last job. Like we kind of implemented a state machine, but it was not a definitive, like if you're here, you can only go there kind of thing. It was... It was a little, little more flexible than that, but it was essentially a state machine. Mm -hmm. And then you can have. And we nested... just used like jobs and events. Yeah. Uh, jobs and events. Yeah, I think we just like leveraged Laravel's jobs to to handle it all. So firing events and dispatching jobs yep. as a result. Yeah, and it's. Uh, I'm telling you, it's a thing of beauty once you get it all together. I think when our billing system gets a bit of a a refactor slash complete rewrite from let, the please up. let me look at it with you i would love to yeah it's so much fun yeah because we know like so an invoice can be i guess we never really have draft invoices we have transactions then we have it they just go and they sit in a pending state until an invoice is raised and then all those transactions get hoisted so we've got issued due overdue debt and then delinquent i think so I guess we could use the state machine for that because we've got yep. the status column, but there's not really like who knows what's responsible for changing it between that's, states. There's that's like, exactly there's one, right. Yeah, the invoice, the invoicing system tracks changing from like due to overdue. No, it gets changed to overdue. There's a script that checks if the overdue date is in the past and then that changes the status to overdue. And then there's like a whole other script that goes, give me all of the invoices that are past 180 days overdue and then mark them as debt or whatever. So yeah, it'd be interesting. So this is exactly what I'm talking about with these delayed transitions. So like when I create, and this works too for like if it's a, if you have different types of accounts are, are marked as delinquent in, in different amounts of times, right? Mm -hmm. You could say, okay, when I mark this as due, I know that in 30 days, it needs to be marked as delinquent. This is a delayed yep. transition. What I don't want is I don't want a single job that's responsible for checking that. That's a pain in the butt, right? I already yep. know what needs to happen. I just, 
I have to have a checker that checks it all the freaking time and checking it all the time to see, is it in the past? 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 Right? It always is checking that. And then once it is, but still sure. And then once it is, then you have to do that. Right. So, so basically what I would propose is like, I would have an associative table that says, Hey, Mm -hmm. when I create this, go ahead and create a delayed transition. So in 30 days, I want to run an event called overdue on this object and at this time. Right. Mm-hmm. And so then you just have this table of delayed transitions. So then all you do is you have one scheduler event that runs and just says, look at the delayed transitions table. If you have anything where the available at is in the past, go ahead and run that. And all that will do is that basically dispatches that event to that model with that, you know, with that payload and with that, with that <coughs> event. And so yeah. you would never have to, because it has to never be a table. Ha- you couldn't put it into Redis or whatever, because there's no you, way of removing. Can you, I don't think you can remove a specific job from Redis. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. But then you kind of have the other piece of it too. And this is the, this is the other reason why I wouldn't use like Laravel's jobs table to do this is because like if you transition out of that event or out of that state, so let's say they pay the invoice, right? Yeah, that, exactly. That timed up transition is no longer valid. So anytime yeah. you would transition from a state to another state, it would just go out and cancel any delayed transitions that were set up for that model. Mm-hmm. So then, then what that does is it frees you up to say, I don't ever have to have something that's checking specifically for check for overdue or check for delinquent or check for whatever. You just have the object itself when you transition from, you know, a available to a due status, it then says, okay, I know that in 30 days I'm going to be overdue. Go ahead and emit this event in 30 days and set up a delayed transition. Yeah. Mm, very interesting. It is super interesting, bro. I would you. be I would be interested to see how that looks in the database. Like storing in the event is easy because you could just store like the class path, but storing the things that you need to put into that, just like be a typically payload would be a model. Yeah, it could just be a payload. I guess you could just do a serialized yeah. thing, just like they do with just like we do with with Laravel's yeah, with cute jobs, stuff. Yeah. yeah, it would be worth looking at um, how the database queue driver works. Because that will handle, you know, all that serialization and stuff, mm-hmm. pushing and yeah. popping jobs and and whatnot. And literally, that schedule task, all it does, because you, I suppose, you'd run that every minute. Yeah, you'd run it every you'd minute. Have to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it would just look for the things that need to be actioned, pull them off the table, dispatch them, and then like what mark them as actioned. I guess either you can mark them as actioned would or just delete would you them. Keep them for historical. No, you could. I mean, it depends on kind of like how you want to do that. You could also have an event sourcing table that's already handling that for you, right? Yeah. Like, so you could just dispatch the event and if the event is automatically being <clears throat> stored somewhere else as an event sourcing sort of deal, then you could mm. have it stored over there. Mm. Very interesting. Dude. Very interesting. It is the way. It is It, it is really, really, really powerful. So, I'm telling yeah, you. Yeah, certainly for invoices and transactions. Yeah. And I've been reading some articles and um, it just solves so many problems. It really does. Mm. Because right now, like all that stuff that you're trying to do, it's happening all over the place. Yeah. It's just happening everywhere. Like if you wanted like, to I figure... I would love if our services, when they sign up, they could be in a sign-up state or a pending state. Because currently, we just like infer that from the the fact that there's no active date. But then we can't like track... Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I don't know that we would do it for services. I think we're not introducing any states. Like you're either pending, you're active, or you're cancelled. There's like just those three and I think we're okay with that. But in terms of the invoices, I like the idea of just like dispatching that job 
and and then later having something that goes, all right, well, now we need to fire the overdue transition and that will fire the event, which will then trigger the change of status, the email notification, hey, your invoice is due, whatever else it needs to do. Like if it's overdue, suspend the service and, and things like that. So... And the way that we have it set up, which is really simple, is we actually have a different object for each state that the, the object. So like what we have is like for the invoice, we have like an invoice due state and it's an object, right? And all we have on there is some public methods that are named the transitions that can happen in that state. So we would yeah. have, you can go from due to paid. You can go from due to canceled. You can go from yeah. due to overdue, right? Those are the three things that can happen. That's it. So it very cleanly yeah. boxes it in and says, here are the events that can happen. And then what we do is when that happens, when that transition or when that event occurs, right? And it triggers that transition, we will move the state to the next state. But anything else that needs to happen also lives right there in that public method. Mm-hmm. So go ahead and send the invoice email. Go ahead and send the invoice reminder email. Go ahead and set up the delayed transition for like, hey, in 30 days, this is going to whatever, right? It's going to yeah. go from delinquent to to whatever, right? And yeah. so um, it's interesting. And there's a couple different patterns for how you can do that. But, you know, you can use events and listeners. You could use like very simple objects. Um, mm. That's all implementation details. But the the spirit of the pattern is still the same. Yeah. We have to try and find some time to pair on this, I think. Yes. I think, I think you're starting to sway me. I have one question and then we're going to have to wrap this up for real. Yeah, we're way over. When you, when you raise an invoice, mm-hmm. right? And the invoice is not due for 14 days. Mm-hmm. In what state is that invoice? What do you probably call that be, status? You could, I mean, so uh, it, me and David were having the same discussion the other day, right? right? Ready? Mm. Like a ready invoice? Like the invoice is yeah. ready. Because um, it's not due, right? It's, right. it's issued. It's, it's like there you go. Issued we is are a good presenting word. this to you. Um, because I think I want to introduce that status because when we raise an invoice currently, we say it's due, but it's not actually due for 14 days. So customers get this invoice and it's like, what do you mean it's due? It says it's not due for 14 days and they freak out. So we just like, we don't display the, the status until the due date. Right. Um, and so, but I think, yeah. And you have I to check a timestamp for that, right? Of course we do. Of I'm course. Every, that's what, that's the thing. Like everybody uses timestamps and it's great. And it is like, but ever you know, Everybody's so concerned. The reason that we use these timestamps as like a, as a computed thing is because it's never going to fall out of, you know, it's never going to have an inconsistent state. Like the, the timestamps yeah. are God, right? Like that's what we're gonna, mm-hmm. always going to know. And like if those timestamps are set, whatever. And that's fine, but it gets really complicated. And so like I, what I would rather do is I would rather pass that logic off to my little machine and be like, hey, set your status. And I'm very confident that the status was set using one of these three ways. And then what happens is the timestamps are just metadata. They're there. Yeah. And I can certainly yeah. utilize them even with queries if I want, but they don't determine the status of the of the item. So then all, what that allows me to do is instead of having to query for timestamps all the time, I can just say, give me all the invoices with a status of, uh, of issued. There you go. Yeah. Super simple. I don't have to be like if it's if it's uh, if it's due, but it's not if it has a due at timestamp, but not a paid at timestamp, and not a delinquent at timestamp, then it's ready to be sent out. Right? That's so annoying. Yeah. So we don't. I mean, we've got the status column, but we don't. I don't think we've got like a consistent way of of doing that. There's Which like is why you can't trust it in different places. Yeah. That you yep. can't trust right. it then. So it's like garbage. I'm okay. I'm just gonna Sorry. rewrite the billing system this week. It'll be fine. I'm sure yeah. it won't take long. 
Nope, should be fine. Easy. Just a monthly subscription. No problem. No problem. So this is actually what I want to do Laracon talk about. This is what I really want to do Laracon talk about. Well, I look forward to seeing it. Yeah, we'll see if it happens. Hey, are you going to Laracon after dark? Yeah, how do I do that? I, I There's supposed to be an email. You didn't get the right? email? There was, a, I'm there was sure an email. I did. You've got to go on a list. You've got to pay some money. Gosh. Um, I need to go it's look cool. at it now. I, I like the idea of a, a Laracon bowling after party. Yeah. I think that'd be a real big hit. Yeah, I agree. I'm looking at this Laracon. I get my rematch. I mean, I say rematch. I won, so I probably don't need a rematch. <laughs> I don't. I don't have one. I don't have an email. Dang it all, Taylor. You know, I didn't get the email about the the group discount for the hotel at Yotel. I didn't get that email, but I did get the bowling email. Whoa, whoa, whoa. there's a so group discount I- thing at. Hotels too. What the? Yeah, heck? it was like one ninety nine a month, uh, one ninety nine and a night, which Reese said was expensive. I'm like, well, yeah, it's expensive, but it's cheap for Manhattan. Right. Jeez, dude, mm-hmm. I'm like missing out on all this stuff here. What is going on? They're kind of after dark. There it is in my trash. That's what it is. Junk. <laughs> Good one. <sighs> Fill it out. Okay. All right. Don't do it now. Do it after the podcast. I know. I know. What I'm you sorry. need to do now is wrap up. Say thank you to our wonderful sponsors. Um, Thanks so much for suffering through this with us. We are way over time on this. We apologize. But we want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors. Andreas uh, Hubenthal, JP Davey, Joe Lennon, who is uh, WorkVivo, Rasmus C. Nielsen, Makeable.dk, CTO Sumo. Thank you uh, so much, everyone, for contributing to the show. Really appreciate it. Andreas, uh, he didn't even want to push anything. He's just, you know, he's just like the kindness of his heart sort of dude. And so, Andreas, you are the man. We love you. We appreciate you. And thank you for the good vibes and the cash. It's awesome. You rock. Okay. You if you like this episode, thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter uh, at Jacob Bennett at Michael Dorinda or at uh, North South Audio. We are on episode 54. So if you like show notes for this episode, you can find them at northmeetsouth.audio slash 54. And as always, if you like the show, please feel free to rate us up in your podcast or choice five stars. Would be appreciated. Anything else will give you a validation error. And we all love those validation errors. So go ahead and try it. Let's go ahead. Give us a four and see what happens. All right. That's it. I'm out. 12.22. All right. It's time. Thanks all, friends. We'll speak to you in two to three weeks, depending on if and when Jake is sleeping. Oh, my gosh. Seriously. Peace. Bye.